0: Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslowski. With apologies to Rappin' Fote, cravings, cravings, how you gonna solve them? Man, I'm going crazy trying to deal with all these cravings. This is episode number
1: 84.
0: Yo, I'm practicing my bird watching voice what do you think? Is it as good as my goodness gracious? I'm grateful for you listening to this episode voice. (laughs) Thanks for your time and attention for a darn fine interview I did with a woman who has a fantastic birdwatching presence. First, gotta give a special thanks to our show's patrons on patreon.com. Sweet sassy molassie folks, you make me happy. Thank you. As always, this episode is brought to you by my voice and the Patreon supporters. I don't have, I don't want sponsors. I just have you. So consider showing your support for me, this show and our community at valueofsimple.com/patreon. Now then, here's an extra dose of love to Eric Larson who snapped a picture of himself listening to this show in the wild and sent it to me over Twitter. You can see him rocking his sweet shades at a local Twin Cities landmark in the show notes at valueofsimple.com slash sasm S M 084. Eric, you and your support are tremendous. Thank you, too. Now, okay, I know what you're thinking right now. Okay, no, that's that's not true. I have no idea what you're thinking right now. But, but, <laughs> if I could plant a question in your head, you know, Inception style, baby, it might be this. Hey, hey, Joel, h- how did the Simple Rev 2015 event go? On October 2nd and 3rd, 2015? You know, also known as wrapping up two days before you publish this episode? Now, why you'd be whispering the question is beyond me. You'll have to ask yourself, But here's what I'd answer to that. I have no freaking idea. None. (laughs) That's because I'm recording this episode intro before the event to make sure I can schedule this to be published while I'm wiped out from a year of planning this sucker. And two plus days at the crossroads of community and simplicity with almost 60 fellow Simple Living enthusiasts. What do you think? Should I? uh, Yeah, you know. I I will probably do a solo episode recapping the Simple Rev action in 2015, maybe the next couple of months, kind of like I did last year for the Simple Rev 2014 event. Actually, you know, I have a number of solo episodes coming up soonish, which I hope you are excited about. Today, though, you get me. And Alex Jameson, lucky you! Yes, the same Alex who co-starred in the documentary Supersize Me, recently published a rather revealing book called Women, Food, and Desire, and someone who looks more classy in a pair of hot pink suede roller skates than anyone I know. Caution, science ahead, because Alex is going to break down the four root causes of cravings, how to fix the all-too-common overfed and undernourished problem in much of the developed world, and we're also going to talk about stuff like why eating food is the most intimate thing we do with people in public, plus how we can change the world by redirecting our negative self-talk. It's just you, me, Alex, and a whole lot of quirky, simple, and helpful good times ahead. Here we go. Oh my. Welcome everyone to an episode that's going to be more groovy than a pair of hot pink roller skates, which my guest knows a little some about. I have Alex Jameson with me, the best selling author of Women, Food and Desire, a functional nutrition and life coach, a trained chef the host of the CraveCast podcast, and a straight-up cravings whisperer. She's been seen on Oprah, The Today Show, Dr. Oz, and if you don't recognize her from those places, you may know her as the co-star and co-creator of the Oscar-nominated documentary, Supersize Me. And if I were you, I would not challenge her to a ukulele playing contest. Welcome to Smart and Civil Matters, Alex. Uh,
1: Thanks, Joel. Although you have not yet heard me play ukulele, so um, might want to back off that one.
0: Okay. Well, (laughs) first, I would need to pick up the ukulele in order to challenge you to said contest. Uh, So, whatever your base level is right now, I assume it's better than ninety-nine percent of the population that's never tried to shred a ukulele. Am I right?
1: That might be true. That might be true. I, I can play one song really well. Which song is it? Uh, Have you ever seen Monty Python's The Meaning of Life?
0: Oh, goodness, yes.
1: It's the universe song. You know, remember that the universe is expanding and expanding. (laughs) That one.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) Will that be up on SoundCloud or YouTube or maybe on your podcast? Are you going to bust into a solo to end up an episode?
1: No, but I did get invited to this random dinner party where I ended up playing that song for a Nobel laureate and some New York Times bestselling authors, which was nerve wracking for my first appearance.
0: I'd say so. How was it received?
1: It was great. People were, you know, people are always really impressed when you just get up and perform something because they're like, whew, glad it wasn't me.
0: (laughs) Yes, I have noticed. Well, cool. Let's take the conversation where I normally start our chat, which is with something I call the seeds of awesomeness. This is to help people understand how you came to be the person you are today. Can you tell us something unique about your environment as a youth or maybe even one or two experiences you had growing up that had a big impact?
1: Oh, sure. So I was raised, uh, as all good hipsters are, on an old organic farm outside of Portland, Oregon. And my mom was a master organic gardener. We grew a lot of our own foods. And my dad was a high school principal for over 25 years. So I had this awesome, creative, uh, natural mom, hippie, and this, you know, very methodical, uh, supportive dad. So between the two of them, I just, I, I'm so grateful for my upbringing. They really, they gave me so much to play with.
0: Now, for me, at least on the surface level, not that these two things are at odds, but this, it's almost like an opposite to track kind of thing. So your mom, self, you described her as a hippie, this organic gardener, your dad, a high school principal, which at least when he's in principal mode, needs to be somewhat buttoned up, somewhat straight laced. Was the environment was the atmosphere in your household just really chill or did it tend to bend more towards one way or the other
1: well i know there it's what i now call and it's so funny because i didn't even realize until you asked me this this is what i've created in my programs to help women it was freedom within a framework and the, the rules were clear and you knew what they were. You knew what was expected of you. And we were, you know, we were raised with manners. And even though we didn't go to church, we, you know, we felt like we were raised to be good citizens and, you know, you you treated people a certain way. But within that, we were encouraged to do what lit us up as human beings? So I, I changed career direction several times. My brother didn't even go to college. Um, you know, he went to film school and he did all these other things. But my my parents were always fully supportive of us following our passion. So I think that's where those two things came together.
0: So what was it? What lit you up back in your youth? Was there a particular experience or some kind of? attachment or uh, what I'm looking for and not necessarily looking for here is I wanted to point this out because I'm really proud of you for addressing this in your TED talk and growing up in a home you rarely took medicine you generally avoided sugar although like me I know you've had issues with sugar a minor present tense I think yours are past tense uh and cultivating that suspicion that you were talking about of a power of conventional doctors I'm just kind of curious for the benefit of everybody who's listening here how did your household turn into a place where you rarely took medicine, you generally avoided sugar and some of those other things?
1: Well, my mom, my mom's dad, my grandfather was a doctor, and he came back from the Korean War with a hardcore self self-prescribed drug addiction. And unfortunately, that drug abuse played into my aunt's life as well, my mom's sister. And both of them ended up having severe drug addiction problems, and they both committed suicide when I was really young, within a couple of years of each other, using prescription drugs. And it had a terrible impact on my mom, especially to lose her sister and her dad so close to each other. And it it instilled this fear in me through my mother of drugs. Drugs of painkillers, of, you know, prescriptions of, of any sort. So she went the opposite route for a long time. We used herbs, natural foods, you know, alternative medicine, acupuncture, naturopathy, etc. And it was that early upbringing that, inculcation into the natural ways of healing that then when i was now my sugar addiction was still there hardcore so by the time i was in my mid 20s i was having a lot of health problems because of my sugar addictions cuz you know between the ages of 15 and 25 you're pretty much you know you're feeding yourself what you want and mine was all fast food i mean i would drink a super big gulp of dr pepper almost every single day i don't even know how you can drink that much liquid in a single day let alone <laughs> (laughs) high-fructose corn syrup. Wow. So I had a lot of health problems, and when I was faced with either painkillers and Prozac or change your diet at the age of 25, I knew immediately I was going to go down that natural path.
0: Well, how do... Taking the step along the path in terms of getting us closer to the present, so you're 25-year-old, you're just feeding yourself crap that you think of as crap that maybe other people think of as crap. You, You know at some level that you're not necessarily giving your body, your mind, your spirit, what it needs. And we'll get into those themes in a little bit. But then you went to culinary school, you became a very well-known vegan, and then you got to know your body and understand the true cravings, at least the root of it, too. How does that shift take place from 25-year-old you towards present you?
1: Ah, so, you know, your body changes over time. (laughs) What worked for me at 25 and this vegan diet that I adopted, this whole foods, unrefined vegan diet that I adopted at the age of 25 to heal those health problems, which worked beautifully, that worked really well for me for about 10 years. I felt great. I had energy. The health problems I was suffering from disappeared, but then get to 35 I now have a son. I'm now getting divorced. My hormones are changing drastically. And what I ate before doesn't feel good anymore. I'm exhausted. My menstrual cycle is every two weeks and I couldn't heal myself. I couldn't fix it in that vegan framework anymore. And I really struggled with it because, you know, as you know, I I co-created the documentary Supersize Me with my now ex and I was the vegan girlfriend in that show uh, or in the movie. And I I went on to write three vegan cookbooks of which I'm still very proud. They're still great recipes, but my entire brand, my entire business was about vegan cooking and uh, encouraging people to experiment with a plant-based lifestyle to see if it would help them. And now here I was 10 years later, it's not working for me anymore. And I felt a lot of shame and I hid and my, you know, my business shrank, my, you know, my impact on the world was very dim because I wasn't in alignment anymore. And it really took a, a great community of friends that I could finally be honest with. And they they were supportive of me, uh, just choosing what was best for me and my body to find a way to get healthy again. And when I finally Came out or came clean as no longer vegan. This is about three years ago now. Uh, it, it was a huge, blech. it was a blow up on the internet. People were angry at me. You know, they flamed me. It was it was thousands and thousands of comments on Facebook on my blog. Uh, I lost half of my tribe. You know, half of my subscriber base unsubscribed. Wow and that's really scary for an online entrepreneur you know an online health expert who's uh you know my main way of communicating with people is via a weekly email and but i had to i had to be honest i just had to be true about my journey and what was real for me and hope that this new non-judgmental journey uh, to help myself and others find the diet that worked best for them would be appealing. And luckily, it has been.
0: Well, you talked about communicating with others, but communicating with yourself and listening to your body, listening to what it's telling you that it wants. And I know that's something now, at least, Cravelings. You talked, uh, and not here, but in other places that I've seen you um, be interviewed and also write Cravings for Meat and for other things that aren't part of the vegan diet. Now, I I just want to get one thing straight. So your perspective is you state that cravings, whether it's food, sex, spirituality, a lot of different ways, that they are good for us, but maybe we should distinguish first between a craving that invigorates you and one that kind of tears you down a little bit. Can you draw that distinction? What's the difference uh, for you in terms of cravings that build you up and ones that break you down?
1: Well, the only person who can tell you the difference is you, you know, I can't tell you that you're craving for a beer or a a burger is bad for you when it could be fine in the scheme of things. You know, maybe you eat 90% organic and vegan and amazing. And then once a week you want to have something or, or two days a week, you allow yourself, you know, cheat days or whatever. You know maybe that's fine but maybe somebody else has an underlying bacterial dysbiosis maybe they have unbalanced microbiome and they can't have any alcohol or sugar until they heal that you know that person's sugar cravings are an indication that the bacteria are out of balance in their body and that those bacteria are craving to be fed the sugar which fuels them so each person is really the only healer that can determine whether a craving is going to serve you or deplete you. But it, so it can be challenging because we have such a negative view on cravings. You know, our our wants, our needs, we have such a we're wrapped up in emotional knots about it. And if we can look at them in a more non-judgmental way and learn the difference between them, and I'd be happy to walk through that a little bit then you can just start to see them for what they are. Cravings are just information or a request from your body for balance in some way. Yeah, let's
0: walk through it a little bit actually. So just from your personal perspective, how do you identify when a craving comes up in your body, in your mind, how do you communicate with yourself and say, ooh, this is something I need, this is something Mm -hmm. I want, as opposed to, you know what, no. I don't need that. It's not deprivation if I say no. Actually, it's it's a good thing. Like, I do not need to listen to that craving. How does that feel to you?
1: So there's four different root causes of any craving, and it takes a little bit of experimentation and learning about and looking at your own life and your energy and your medical history to determine what's going on. So the first root craving is that bacterial craving that I just mentioned. You know, you may be exhibiting signs of bacterial imbalance in your body. So are the bacteria in your body, which and they communicate with your nervous system. If there is an overgrowth of candida yeast or other fungi in the body, they are the ones that actually get you up off the couch going to the freezer at 1030 at night for the ice cream when you know you're trying to avoid it because they need sugar to live. So bacteria is the first root cause of cravings. The second root cause is nutritional You know, a lot of us are overfed and undernourished. We don't eat the nutrient-rich foods that we need. And your body knows, it's incredibly wise. It knows that it needs those nutrients, magnesium or calcium or, you know, chromium, potassium, all these minerals and vitamins. It knows it needs them. So it might be reaching for the foods that it knows give it a little hit because you're not eating the superfoods like, You know, maybe you have a magnesium deficiency, which is, by the way, one of the most common uh, mineral deficiencies, especially for the Western woman. It's true for men as well, but especially for women, we're magnesium deficient. So we crave a lot of chocolate. Chocolate is one of those foods that our body knows has magnesium in it. Or you could be adding magnesium rich foods like hemp seeds, chia seeds, uh, a good daily Supplement or some of this, um, some of the sea veggies that are high in magnesium for my for my serious chocoholics, I always recommend adding some magnesium rich foods to their diet, and those nutritional cravings will slowly reduce and then there 's the emotional cravings we are emotional eaters, all of us. It's just part of being human. You know, food is the most intimate thing we do with other people in public. It's how we bond with our family, with our tribe, with our ethnic group of origin. And we know, again, our body knows in its infinite wisdom that if we are emotionally upset, angry, frustrated, sad, lonely, that a little bit of food or food volume, as I sometimes call it, you know, those carby foods, those (laughs) refined foods, it'll help us calm down. It'll help us calm the anxiety and the frustration that we feel in our bodies. And then there's the physical and we are physical creatures. We are built really For pleasure you know either to go towards pleasure or away from pain and we need movement you know movement is so key to our vitality and we need good quality rest and sleep and we often don't get enough of either right we don't move enough and we don't get enough sleep and we need physical pleasure but sex is a a challenging topic and most of us have um you know we have a hard time talking about it. We, we don't get enough or we, we don't want it and we don't understand why. And for women, especially, and again, this is, you know, this is a general blanket statement, but I I go into this further in my book, Women, Food and Desire, that sex in our culture is dangerous. We code it as dangerous for so many reasons. From the way it's portrayed in media to the messages we pick up as young girls, like to not be too slutty or don't dress too provocatively or you could do it wrong if you lose your virginity too early. You know, these are things that we're really afraid of. So sex feels very dangerous. And in that way, sex becomes, or sorry, food becomes safe sex to us because your body does crave pleasure and it does want to feel good. So if we don't feel comfortable expressing that physically, we'll go to the cookies.
0: Yeah. I hear you. Food porn is real. Uh, I I see it and I've experienced it. Uh, Just to recap. So people have it. So you're, Four roots of cravings bacterial, nutritional, emotional, and physical. And there's a lot in each one of those. Just real quick, as far as the physical goes, you're talking about sex. And that's a topic that I hope we get to dive into a little bit. But movement and sleep, so particularly, maybe even movement first. I know that you live in the city, you live in Brooklyn, uh, and I heard you say the reason why I know about you, at least the first place that I knew about you, I remember watching Supersize Me a while back, but I didn't remember you from there. There's other people in the Origins Film Summit interview series that I've just been fascinated by. You're one of them. And you were telling Pedram Sojay, the guy who put together Origins, that for you it's all about movement. Uh, And I also heard you say, this is is so cool, I've got a a Burley, which is a bike trailer as well that I take my two boys in. But you've been plopping your son in a trailer on your bike for years and you've pedaled him for miles to preschool and now grade school. Why is that so important to you? Is it the movement aspect? Is it being outside in nature? What is it that you're trying to do with that?
1: It's both. I know that I feel bad pretty quickly if I'm not moving regularly. And, you know, I I was really lucky. Again, I grew up in the garden with my mom and that, you know, farmers had a lot of kids to do a lot of work out in the yard. So my brother and I were doing a lot of pruning and weeding and, you know, the push mower, literally an old push mower to, uh, to mow the lawn. So we did a lot. was this a big honking lawn? Luckily, the lawn was really tiny because we were growing food and we had forest on the rest of the land. Okay, cool. <laughs> but until you've pushed an old school push mower, you don't even know. Um, so, And then my dad was, uh, he was a swim coach and a soccer coach. So we, we were just very, very active from a, a really early age. Now, I was also diagnosed with scoliosis at the age of 13. And... I, my mom had me doing yoga from the age of five on the carpet with her because she had scoliosis. So we would watch together and do yoga. I mean, this was 1980. We were watching the first ever yoga program televised in the States called Lilius Yoga and You. Lilius was the first televised yoga teacher. And we were doing that because mom's back was messed up from scoliosis. So when I got diagnosed with it too, she said, good, you know how to take care of it. So if I don't exercise, do yoga, go to the chiropractor, get massage, my back starts to scream at me. Otherwise, I feel good, I feel fine, but I have a very low pain tolerance and I want my back to stay as straight as possible for as long as possible. So this, a lot of it's preventative.
0: Is there, when you talk about doing yoga from the age of five, yeah, back in 1980, uh, nobody was talking about yoga. It wasn't even a blip on the radar, at least in American consciousness. So initially, it was physical for your mom, for scoliosis. But now, like when you wait, we were talking before we even started recording here in terms of your morning, your summer wellness rituals of meditation and yoga, going out to your rooftop garden and talking to your plants from the yoga piece of it. Do you still do yoga primarily for the physical aspect of it or is it more for the emotional and mental benefits or just, just the fact that it makes you feel good all over? What is it about yoga that totally does it for you?
1: It's everything. It's it's a moving meditation for me. It requires me to slow down, which is so so helpful. I need that. It it's a it's a way for me to connect with my body. And you know, that is that is my greatest work for myself and what I teach other people how to do is to listen to your body. It is so wise and it's constantly sending you messages about your truth, about your next steps, about what you need. And when I'm outside in the early morning sun, in the fresh air, moving my body, you know that's my spiritual practice. Nature is a huge healer for me. Being in the fresh air, feeling the sun, feeling the wind—even the the wind and the rain—I love a good storm. That feels like I am connected to something much greater than myself, and I feel calm. Um, I feel swept clean. So th- that time with plants, I will literally go hug a tree. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> I will go hug. I a tree. have too. Oh my gosh! It's just it feels so much it's so grounding. It's so beautiful. And it's so quieting. And living in New York City for 16 years, even though I am a total hippie nature child by birth, you know, this is a big city. And I need to reconnect with nature on a regular basis to stay sane.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit easier for me being in a suburb outside of Minneapolis. My go-to, at least during the summertime, is just to take off my socks and my shoes in the house, but more so outside and just feel the earth underneath my feet I don't necessarily need to be by vegetation or big trees or anything but just being able to feel it or even just laying down in the grass with my eyes closed or staring up at the sky it's that Mm -hmm. slowness that you're talking about that I really appreciate as well and being able to hear what your body is saying what your mind is saying what it wants um, being able to just float and have more nothing in your life as I've talked to other people about actually So, you talk yoga and meditation and gardening, the sense of slowness, the sense of freedom and almost nothingness. Is there anything else that you do, any uh, experiences that you go seek out or habits that you have to have more uh, nothing in your life? Mm,
1: You know, I love coloring. (laughs) I have several coloring books and I have a beautiful set of coloring pens and pencils. Um, I also, you know, I'm a very creative person and while writing is part of my profession, it's not easy for me. So I like to, I like to lose myself in the creative process. Um, I've taken a few watercolor classes. I really enjoy that. Um, Oh, bird watching. Oh my gosh, I am such a bird nerd. I have joined the Brooklyn birding group. Uh, we go to Prospect Park on the weekends. I've got my totally dorky, you know, binoculars. I love like I can lose myself for an hour just looking for birds and trying to identify, oh, what's that one? You know, I've got an app on my phone and it's, it's like I'm in nature, I'm with other people, and all we're doing is looking for birds. And it's so fun. I, I, I get lost. I'm not thinking about work. I'm not worrying. it's beautiful. I just it's so fun.
0: How does this work? I've never been in the birding culture before. I don't even know if there is a birding culture. I assume there is.
1: Oh, everywhere.
0: Okay, okay. so you uh, some maybe you have friends or maybe there's some kind of meetup.com group. you decide, hey, we're all going to start in one place. And we are just going to go seeking birds. Do you, is it a tag team type of thing? Or, okay, you go over there and you check out this zone. And then I'm going to be over here and I'm going to be scoping for this specific type of bird. First one to find it, tells the other one. And we get to uh, nerd out about birds.
1: How does it work? Well, <laughs> well, the group that I go hang out with, and I'm, I'm, I've only just done this a few times, but believe me, I'm a lifer from now on. Um, we get together. And there's actually an Audubon Center in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. And we all go off walking together. And there's a few places where certain birds tend to congregate by, you know, this flowering magnolia that has, you know, berries that are now that certain birds will come and eat. Or there's some water areas, you know, a a little marsh where we saw a heron that was fishing, which is so cool. Um, And we saw all kinds of woodpeckers. And, you know, some of the people have been birding for Decades. You know, there's some cool, funky, quirky, old, retired Brooklynites who've been birding for like 20 years and they know all the birds. And what's so cool about birding in New York City, you wouldn't think about this, but because there's only a couple of big parks Central Park and Prospect Park in Brooklyn, it's still a major fly through zone from birds that are migrating from Canada down to Mexico. So all these birds have to hang out and stop in these two parks. So in an hour, you'll see like a dozen different kinds of birds. Whereas if you go somewhere that's, you know, less densely populated, you might see two or three. So you get a lot of bigger diversity and more concentration.
0: Hmm. So in... This is, I'm not trying to make this argument, but I would imagine some people say as far... So these two parks, you've got Central Park and Prospect Park in the greater New York City area. These are the two main green public spacing spaces the commons if you will and actually uh, i interviewed a guy named howard reingold back in episode 57 and he spoke vividly about preserving and even expanding the commons if -hmm. there were more smaller parks you probably wouldn't have the opportunity to do this in the city how do we reconcile uh our desire as humans and i think we all have these cravings to be outside where it's green where it's vibrant when we're Mm -hmm. in nature whether it's solo or whether it's with other people so being a shared stakeholder of a common place like Prospect Park, where you can go be a bird nerd with your friends, uh, do, you, do you talk to other people in the city about what it means to have these places or to expand the the role of the commons or these public spaces? Or you're pretty happy with the fact that at least in the city itself, there's not a lot. And therefore you get to have the benefits that you were just talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, cut down all the trees. So all the birds have to come to Prospect Park. No, of course, <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> not <yeah. laughs> now, you know, New York City is actually really a fascinating place to live for a nature lover. You know, in the last 15, 16 years that I've lived here, uh, the Park. The amount of parks has expanded. Uh, the amount of bike paths has, you know, quadrupled, quintupled. There's new parks that didn't exist before. There's new areas that are, you know, being given back. To nature, like the High Line is this beautiful elevated park that's now completely redone. A lot of it's xeriscaping, which is something I learned from my mom, which is basically planting local natural flora uh, and fauna. Sorry that uh, so that you don't have to water it. You know, planting what's local that it, it attracts local bugs and local birds, and you don't have to put so much input into managing it. So I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said for our, our most recent mayor, Bloomberg. He put a lot, he reinvested into parks. He had the Million Trees Initiative. So there's a lot of good things happening in cities. And I got to be honest, I think it's actually wiser for people to live in con- higher concentrations in cities and not pave over and put – suburbs over top of really good farmland. I think that's a it's a better use of our energy as humans to to concentrate a bit more and then take our vacations out into nature rather than paving it over with another target.
0: Oh, I'm so with you. I would love to just see these super clean breaks in cities between I'm in the city, I'm not in the city as opposed to a gradual 10 mile, 20 mile, 30 mile slow progression from city to suburb to exurbs to countryside it would be awesome if we weren't trying this is just me personally but the sprawl especially in our country the further you go west and the more land there is available i mean there's here in the twin cities we have la- we have lots of lakes but there's no ocean like we're not next to the atlantic ocean we can spread indefinitely if we want and in some ways that is happening so there's a number of folks who are all about uh, Not necessarily from a planning perspective, but also socially, and so that we can all be in a similar place, have shared experiences, we get a chance to interact more, play more together, I'm with you when it comes to congregating in um, smaller footprints and leaving more of a, a wildness to everything else.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the New York city public library changed my life. That's where I discovered the books that introduced me to veganism and, a, a, you know, the natural healing that allowed me to heal my body in my mid twenties. And, you know, I grew up with a, a middle school librarian as my favorite auntie and, you know, these commons, like you say, the, the parks and the libraries. Places where people can go for free to learn and connect. it It is so powerful and I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: Yeah. Places where no one's trying to monetize them or hold power over them. They're just part of our collective heritage as humans. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to share them with other animal creatures too. Any, I, I'm about to go on a tangent. I'm going to stop and I'm going to redirect for a moment here. I want to talk gardening because... I know from, uh, from the food perspective and from the fact that you do garden and you've got that rooftop garden. So I just interviewed another fella, a guy named Eugene Cook. He's an urban farmer who lives in Atlanta. He was also featured in uh, Pezum Chojay's Origins film, Deep Dive, just like you. Now, where you are having a rooftop garden on your home, as far as growing your own food, why is that so important to you is it self sufficiency is it cutting down on cost is it not having to go outside to a grocery store and having less fresh produce what's the purpose of having your rooftop garden
1: well i have to admit i'm not able to you know cut substantially into my grocery bills with my rooftop garden but but that is the goal at some point we just moved in so it's a tiny a tiny uh, uh project so far, but to have fresh herbs, to be able to send my eight-year-old son up to the roof and say, sweetie, go get me 10 basil leaves for dinner, or to be able to grow and watch the tomato plants and be able to like pick a real tomato off of a plant and for him to be able to see how food is grown, to see that it takes time, to see that it takes daily connection. You got to water them. You got to make sure they have the right kind of soil. You got to, you know, make sure the bugs and the New York City squirrels, let me tell you about a rant I've got working (laughs) up inside me. Okay, Those little punks. Anyway, um, yeah, to be able to, continue the love of fresh food and share it with my son has been so beautiful. And even though I'm not able to grow a ton of food up there, uh, to just be able to have a few delicious things that we can share, it does... Make him appreciate food in a different way. And it connects me to nature, to the seasons. It reminds me and keeps us grateful for the other food that we do purchase from the farmer's market or from our co op that somebody, actually, a lot of somebody's put a lot of time and effort into this. So let's give some gratitude for what we have, this bounty that we have available to us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know you love getting your hands dirty. Uh, and I'm sure Laken, in- your son, enjoys that too. My kids love just running around and getting dirty all the time, and I encourage that. Uh, I say, hey, kids, go nuts! Like, be outside and go. Replenish
1: crazy. your microbiome. There go you get go. Some dirt on you.
0: Are we going to talk about gut microbiome here? Are we going to seriously nerd out?
1: Oh, totally, dude. I, I guess switch.
0: I guess we could. That.
1: <laughs> so I want to start a new book. <laughs> this is so dorky. I want to start a whole movement called the Dirt Diet where I just encourage people to buy organic and not wash their vegetables. You know, like, you know, brush it off, maybe like rinse it, make sure there's nothing visible. But actually, maybe we should be eating a little bit of dirt with our food.
0: <laughs> well, there's something to be said for that. Prebiotics, probiotics. Uh, think about it from an uh, evolutionary perspective As humans, when they grew vegetables, they didn't have the methods or the desire to sanitize everything. What we consumed was part of the earth. And we, we had some of that, whether it was visible or not. And I think a lot of that, especially non-organic produce specifically, has been completely eliminated from us. And as far as our gut goes and what's good for our gut health, this is part opinion and part science and research that I've read. It's, it's a bummer, actually, that you don't have the opportunity to just take something out of the ground and just straight up eat it, as opposed to having to think, I got, do I got to triple wash this thing? Do I need to peel it 10 different times? Do I have to slice it a certain way? So I like your dirt diet idea.
1: Yeah, do it, man. It's a, it is a bummer. Um, you know, we use way too many hand sanitizers. We are so obsessed with germs when really we, we are part of this earth and we evolved in co evolutionary process with these bacteria. You know, our body, it's 10 times more bacterial than it is human cells. They are in us and we actually need a wider diversity of them than we think we do. So, you know, rather than just taking your probiotics, and believe me, I'm a big fan of the store-bought probiotics, but if we could get a wider array, you know, going into nature, getting dirty... You know, sitting in a in a spa, a natural hot spring. That's a great way to expose yourself to these beneficial bacteria. And, you know, great way to take a little break too.
0: Yeah, go birding, strap on some pink roller skates and go do it up that way. That's (laughs) what I was alluding to in the intro. There's an awesome picture on your website of you in those pink roller skates. Phenomenal. Yes. I don't know who Hi. took it, but thank you for the person who took
1: it. <laughs> I am I have been a roller skate lover since my early girl years. And here in New York, they turn the ice skating rinks into roller skating rinks in the summer. So I'm actually taking my kid roller skating tomorrow. And I decided, you know what? I always wanted some of those amazing custom roller skates when I was a kid. So at the age of 39, I decided I'm finally gonna get what. I want. And I bought these hot pink suede roller skates. They're so beautiful. (laughs) They're so fun to go. Now I'm not a super disco roller skater, but I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And it just makes it a lot more fun when you got those things on your feet.
0: Okay. So challenge you to a ukulele contest, but not to a roller skating contest. That's what I'm
1: Indeed. Yes.
0: Okay. Well, hey, I want to make sure that we have an opportunity. Uh, Your book that you mentioned before, Women, Food, and Desire, I haven't read it yet I mean initially like women I'm not a woman Um, food I like food desires I certainly have them so two out of those three things are certainly applicable to me but um, maybe you could just briefly explain to people why after all these years and all these changes that you made you know the dirt diet maybe that's coming down the road but for this book that you just wrote what was it that you felt so compelled to share with the world that you decided that you needed to write this book
1: well, I you know I've I've been helping women as a health coach for a long time to heal their bodies with food. But the more women I've worked with, the more I see that so many of us know what we could be doing to feel better. You know, there's some nuance here and there. Like, you know, if you have a candida overgrowth, there's certain foods you shouldn't eat. There's some learning to be done there. But for so many of us, food is more than just food. It's not just about what's on the plate. It's about how we feel about ourselves. And for so many, we don't trust our bodies anymore. We want to look good for other people, but we don't know how to feel good in our own skin. There's a huge lack of confidence out there, you know, body confidence and self-love. It, it's an epidemic. And I see women and they're, they're so accomplished and beautiful and strong and funny and kind and they secretly hate themselves and have they harbor these secret food obsessions and it's heartbreaking because the, the amount of energy that's wasted by women on this self-loathing and frustrating food thought spirals the amount of energy that's wasted could change the world if we could redirect and realize, you know what? What I want is good. My body is great. My body is strong. What else can I do with all this energy that I'm using to beat the crap out of myself with? And I know that a lot of women do wanna have, they do wanna feel better. They wanna feel lighter. They wanna feel stronger. They want more energy. And those are valuable, valid concerns. But from my perspective, you can't beat the crap out of yourself in order to have a good relationship with your body.
0: No, no, you cannot.
1: So, so I'm, at least it hasn't worked so far. So I'm really trying to bring women along in this new way of eating and living where you listen to your body and you start to get clear about those four root causes so that you can feel lighter and stronger and more confident and sexy. And then take all that energy and go forth into the world and take on those changes that you know you want to create.
0: Yeah, just totally rock it. Uh, those four things you're talking about, four cravings, I assume you're talking about, the bacterial, nutritional, emotional, physical, right? Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure that it was clear. Actually, would you, would you just talk briefly? You've got this pretty nifty tool, resource. It's a quiz, this cravings quiz. We are talking about food obsessions and redirecting mm-hmm. things into something productive. What's... I haven't taken it yet, but I'm I'm curious now. What's this cravings quiz dealio?
1: So if you go to cravingsquiz.com, you can take a very quick quiz, which will help you discover your cravings type. Now this is all based on very ancient wisdom called Ayurvedic medicine, which is the traditional medicine from India. It's 5,000 year old medicine, and it'll help you discover your cravings type. I've basically rebranded the Ayurvedic doshas, um, Vata Pitta Kapha. You know, it's one of the sister arms of yoga. It's related to yoga. And it will tell you, you know, what your cravings mean based on your type, whether you're a featherweight firebrand or earth mama or earth papa. And it's basically like looking at your characteristics as an individual and learning that you have certain imbalances that sometimes play out as one of these three types. Well, there's certain foods that you can eat to balance those things. And maybe there are certain kinds of movement or exercise that you can use to balance. A more fiery nature or a hot condition. Maybe there's cooling foods and more cooling movement and lifestyle techniques that you can use. So th- it's really, really helpful. I've got this great, you know, thirty-plus page report that you get to help you understand it better. And it, it's just an introductory way. It's one way to better understand your cravings and start using food in a different way.
0: Well, cool. Is there we could talk about? any number of things, but just to make sure that we're being respectful of of your time and all everything that you've shared so far, which there's gonna be tons of links in the show notes. And I really want people to dive deep into them. A lot of the resources, a lot of things that we've been talking about. Is there anything that we did not talk about yet that you would like people to know?
1: Yeah. You know, I think that sometimes cravings come upon us in a moment and we, we want to know what to do in that moment. Like, what do I do when I have a craving? And I have created a really simple chart that I would love people to have. It's at bit.ly slash crave chart. So just bit.ly crave chart. And it's what to do when you have a craving. And it asks you, are you hungry or thirsty? Like, seriously, when was the last time you ate or had a glass of water? try that first. You know, are you just starving or are you dehydrated? And then it takes you down through these next yes or no questions to help you determine what does my craving mean? It's a really simple chart. You can download it, post it on the fridge, and it'll remind you in the moment what you might really need. And it can, you know, help trigger that bacterial, nutritional, emotional, physical conversation so that you can start listening to and honoring your body in a new way
0: that sounds sweet uh okay that will also be in the show notes wow um as far as where people who want more and there's gonna be a lot of them um to go further into your world and more of your resources where can we find you online
1: so alexandrajameson.com and i've also got a podcast people can check out it's called the cravecast Cast
0: simple as that your podcast by the way it's kind of hilarious and <laughs> uh and educational too. the guests that you bring out i've only listened to a couple of episodes but yeah for people who like this who like podcasts and like a quirky type of person a more fun type of vibe you you are a good person to also listen to
1: uh thank you so much i appreciate it yeah.
0: well Alex, thanks a ton for joining me for this conversation. I am deeply grateful, and I know everybody else listening got at least two or three things that they can do immediately as a result of listening to us chat.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. See, I told you this episode contains science. Side effects may include the new know-how about the four root causes of cravings. Fair warning, right? Right. Uh, You will also might have picked up on how to be well-nourished with empowering cravings and where to go in the NYC for your bird-watching fix. Because, wait, you don't need a bird-watching fix? (sighs) Oh, Oh, I guess all the amazing stuff in this episode will have to suffice. Well, Alex mentioned a ton of stuff that could help you or someone that you dig out. So make sure to slowly pour through the show notes at valueofsimple.com slash SASM084 for all the goodies. That's where you can find links to all the stuff we spoke about, topic timestamps, takeaways, and more grooviness than you can shake a stick at, all at valueofsimple.com slash SASM 84 Want to learn how to support me, this show, and our community? Patreon is probably the best way at the moment, and you can peep the deets, also known as taking a look at the details, at valueofsimple.com slash Patreon. I share some pretty not pretty, no, unique behind the scenes stuff with my patrons, but I really I just thrive on connecting with you anywhere you are. So if you have something to share, I am all eyes and ears. My email is joel at valueofsimple.com. I'm on Twitter, at Joel Zaslavsky, and I'm plus Joel Zeslowski on the Google+. Plus. If you can't think of something to write or share, just send me an email with your full name and one personal detail, just one little personal detail that you think I should know about, or maybe even you want to take a picture of yourself listening to this show in the wild and tweet it to me, just like Eric Larson did with his super sweet shades, which are now immortalized in the show notes of this episode. Whatever you do, if you got something out of this episode, or you just generally dig the show, share it with some folks, will ya? Because people are depending on you to point them to the good stuff. And if you consider this the good stuff, I'm always grateful when you show some love by talking about what you and I and the rest of this groovy community are building here together you are awesome i love how you're constantly kicking my booty to do better and you truly make this show possible it's now time for your partner in simplifying to sign off again you've just listened to the smart and simple matters podcast with joel szloski creator of all things value of Simple.